grace and peace, my fellow listeners, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is your host, Anike Ade, and I am back with parts five and six of the Genesis finale series. I thank you guys so much for sticking with me. Thank you for your patience. I'm so sorry for the tardiness of not being um, diligent with uploading my episodes, but I am doing my best to keep up and I will make sure that my best is best enough. So thank you once again for joining me. Um, This podcast is all about knowing God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it is all Bible based. And I just want to make sure that we are reading from the Bible, gaining knowledge together from the Bible. So I definitely welcome any questions you may have, um, anything that any topics that you think I should talk about. Um, I believe for next season, we're going to make it more intentional, right? So um, we'll try to have more topics to discuss in between the um, Bible reading episodes. So hopefully we'll be able to communicate more and connect more. So, and I pray that it will definitely resonate and it will strike questions in you and strike some conversation. And I look forward to getting your questions as well. So with that being said, I want to go into chapter 37 and please, I have to correct myself because I noticed that in chap in uh sorry, in, um, part four, I ended off saying that we were finishing up with 26 and going to 27 when in actuality we were finishing up with 36 and now we'll begin chapter 37 of Genesis. I am going to be reading from the Good News translation. Um, Again, I feel like it just kind of simplifies the New King James Version, but I would encourage us all to read the King James Version and If you're having difficulty understanding, take it to God. Um, And worst case scenario, you can always use either the Good News translation, um, the English Standard Version, or the NASB. I think it's 1995. I feel like those, and even the New King James Version, it's pretty simplified. I feel like those versions will help you better understand what the New King James Version is relaying. I just feel like the New King James Version has more spiritual attachment to it. I don't know. If anybody else agrees, please leave a comment for me. All right. So before we begin, I just want to acknowledge God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the lives of those who are listening right now. I thank you for my life, my family, friends, and loved ones. And Father, I just give you all praise and glory and honor. Um, I am thankful to be able to do this, to be able to spend time with you, to dedicate my time with you, God, because the only reason I have time is because of you. The only reason the people listening have time is because of you. So Father, I just pray that as we read your word, as we embark on your word, that it will be like a sword to our lives, that we'll be able to defend ourselves against the spiritual enemies that exist that we cannot see in the physical. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your words will sow a seed in our lives and that we'll be able to sow that seed in the life of others hoping to win souls for your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, 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 in Jesus' name. All right, let us go ahead and begin. So I am now in Genesis 37, and I'm going to start from chapter 1. And I think this is where we get into the story of Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. Well, sons, I should say. He has a lot of sons. So Jacob continued to live in the land of Canaan where his father had lived. And this is the story of Jacob's family. 
Joseph, a young man of 17, took care of the sheep and goats with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's concubines. He brought bad reports to his father about what his brothers were doing. Hmm, seems like Joseph was a little snitch, huh? Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he had been born to him when he was old. He made a long robe with full sleeves for him. When his brothers saw that the, their father loved Joseph more than he loved them, they hated their brother so much that they would not speak to him in a friendly manner. Now, I want to stop for a second. See, this, you know what I love about the Bible? It definitely shows that history repeats itself. The life we're living today is the life that they were living then. So when I, I come across folks that say, oh, the Bible was written by man, and I don't believe the words of the Bible, and this, that, and the third. Well, who else did you expect to write the Bible? I mean, it tells you the accounts of when God or, you know, the Holy Spirit visited these men and women who wrote, you know, these letters, who wrote these um these words in the Bible. So they're giving you an account of their experience, their story, their history. You know, so how dare you say, oh, man wrote it. Well, yeah, man wrote every other book that you read as well. So what makes it different from the men who wrote the Bible? They're giving you an account of their encounter with God, their relationship with God, the Holy Spirit and the things that occur there. And we all know that there's a lot of truth in the Bible, because if we go back to history, we can see what has happened and how it affected the people in the Bible. So I just say this to say here that we just have to be careful as parents. You know, um, if we remember in the previous chapters that Joseph is one of the sons or well, the first son to Rachel, who was Jacob's, you know, apple of his eye, right? He really wanted Rachel, but had to take um, his sister because of the father's, their father's deception and all of that. But he really, really had love for Rachel. And I'm assuming, um, and as it says here, he was also born to him at an old age. So this whole thing of showing more love for one child than the other is not good because you leave room for the enemy to create hatred in the heart of your other children. And even though they probably love their sibling, but because the enemy has found a way to get in, that love is so repressed. It's like so at the bottom that it doesn't even surface because of this jealous spirit that they're feeling. Remember, jealousy is a spirit and it's a bad spirit. God does not give us the spirit of jealousy. That is Satan's job. So we just wanna be very mindful. I go on to verse five. One time Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. He said, listen to the dream I had. We were all in the field, tying up sheaves of wheat, when my sheaf got up and stood up straight. Yours formed a circle around mine and bowed down to it. Hmm. Do you think you are going to be a king and rule over us? His brothers asked. So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of what he said about them. Now, dreams can be very significant. Sometimes it could probably just be all in our head. But majority of the time, the Lord is trying to tell us something. Whether the dream is evil to you or whether the dream seems so great to you, the Lord is always trying to tell us something. And sometimes what appears nice and sweet and beautiful might not always be the case, right? Because the enemy is a copycat and he will present evil as good and good as evil. So we have to be alert and we have to be aware. And this is why we must have a very 
keen and deep spiritual relationship with God. I still work on that every day, but I thank God for where I am today because uh, that spirit of discernment is real and you need it in your life. And so in this dream, his brothers, it's like they didn't need the interpretation. They clearly understood what this dream meant, that at some point they would be bowing down to their brother. They probably didn't know how, they didn't know when, but they just knew that, wait, we already don't like you. And now we're, you mean we're going to have to be answering to you? Oh, heck no. Let's go further. Verse nine. Then Joseph had another dream and told his brothers. I had another dream in which I saw the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowing down to me. He also told the dream to his father and his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that? Do you think that your mother, your brothers and I are going to come and bow down to you? Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept thinking about the whole matter. See, it even went as far as a second dream that basically validates the first dream, that at some point he's going to be great. And everyone, it says the moon, the stars bowed before him. That basically means everyone, the land, wherever he's going to be, people are going to bow before him. People are going to have this high regard for Joseph. That even his father was like, wait, where are, you, where are you going with this? But even Jacob knows that there's got to be something more to this, right? Verse 12. One day when Joseph's brothers had gone to Shechem to take care of their father's flock, Jacob said to Joseph, I want you to go to Shechem where your brothers are taking care of the flock. Joseph answered, I am ready. His father told him, go and see if your brothers are safe and if the flock is all right. Then come back and tell me. So his father sent him on his way from Hebron Valley. Joseph arrived at Shechem and was wander wandering around in the country when a man saw him and asked him, what are you looking for? I am looking for my brothers who were taking care of their flock, he answered. Can you tell me where they are? The man said they have already left. I heard them say that they were going to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted against him and decided to kill him. This is their little brother now. Can you imagine? So what more can a stranger do to you than your own sibling? That's how real Satan is. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Joseph the dreamer is what we refer Joseph to, right? Come on now, let's kill him and throw his body into one of the dry wells. We can say that a wild animal killed him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. Reuben heard them and tried to save Joseph. Let's not kill him, he said. Just throw him into, his, into this well in the wilderness, but don't hurt him. He said this, planning to save him from them and send him back to his father. When Joseph came up to his brothers, they ripped off his long robe with full sleeves. Then they took him and threw him into the well, which was dry. Ouch, you can imagine that was probably painful to a dry well. He must have hit his head, hurt his foot, who knows. Um, but I want to I want to point something out here in this 21. It says Reuben heard, which is one of his older brothers, heard them and tried to save Joseph. See, when God has a purpose for your life, <laughs> he will even turn one of your enemies. If there's a group of enemies who are encamped around you that want to set up a pit for you, God will still find one of them to have a softened heart towards you to save you for the purpose that he has for you. Amen. 
Amen. So I just pray in this moment, this is definitely a prayer point in this moment, that the enemies who have gathered against your glory, against your success, against the will that God has for your life, that pit that they have dug for you to fall into, may they fall into their own demise. Better yet, may the Lord find one of them and give them a change of heart to save you so that you can be, you can reach the glory that God has for you. Amen. Verse 25, while they were eating, they suddenly saw a group of Ishmaelites traveling from Gilead to Egypt. Their camels were loaded with spices and raisins. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother and covering up the murder? This is another brother now, Judah. Let's sell him and keep Judah in mind. Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites. Then we won't have to hurt him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. And when some Midianite traders came by, the brothers pulled Joseph out of the well and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Who were the Ishmaelites? Where does that name Ishmael come from? Do we remember Abraham and their and uh, Sarah's maidservant? Hagar? Right. Hagar had the baby Ishmaelite for Abraham when um, Sarah grew impatient and couldn't wait on the Lord's timing. So Ishmaelite came not of God's, you know, will, but God blesses us with a gift nonetheless. It all that we the, every child serves a purpose. God will not bring a child into this world if they're not going to serve a purpose, right? And so every child serves a purpose. There is no mistake in the child, but there may be a mistake in the timing of the child coming forth. So there goes the Ishmaelites for you, right? When Reuben came back to the well and found that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes in sorrow. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. What am I going to do? Then they killed a goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They took the robe to their father and said, we found this. Does it belong to your son? Can you imagine? Like, look at the deception that has existed in this genealogy thus far we've we've heard the lies that even um rebecca did with jacob and esau you see how she lied for the son to go and cook the meat and bring it to the father so he can get the blessing of the firstborn you know there were just lies you know even down to murder look at cain and abel cain killed his brother and abel's you know the cry of his blood within the ground was screaming for vengeance. You know, these things really, really disheartened God. You can imagine when he created us in the beginning, if you remember in the beginning of uh, this Genesis series, when I said he was very, very pleased when he created us in his image. And God is supposed to be a God without blemish, holy, pure, clean, loving. And, and then just imagine what mankind turned into. And so this here is just disheartening to even hear that they wanted to kill their brother, but thankfully, because the Holy Spirit intervened in one of them or both of them, they decided, you know what, instead of killing him, let's just sell him off. Oh, but let's go lie to our dad who was already old and dying. Why would you do that to your father, right? Verse 33, he recognized it and said, yes, it is his. Some wild animals has killed him. My son Joseph has been torn to pieces. Jacob tore his clothes in sorrow and put on sackcloth. He mourned for his son a long time. Wow. All his sons and daughters. 
All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, I will go down to the world of the dead, still mourning for my son. So he continued to mourn for his son, Joseph. Meanwhile, in Egypt, the Midianites had sold Joseph to Potiphar, Potiphar, one of the king's officers, who was the captain of the palace guard. And this ends chapter 37. We're going to move on to chapter 38, and I think we're doing pretty well. So now this is where the story really gets interesting, right? Joseph has been sold off. What exactly does God have planned for Joseph? Let's keep reading. Verse 1, about that time, Judah left his brothers and went to stay with a man named Hira, who was from the town of Adullam. There, Judah met a young Canaanite woman whose father was named Shua. He married her, and she bore him a son whom he named Er. That's E-R. She became pregnant again and bore another son and named him Onan. Again, she had a son and named him Shelah. Judah was at Ashkib, was at Akzib, excuse me, when the boy was born. For his first son, Er, Judah got a wife whose name was Tamar. Ur's conduct was evil, and it displeased the Lord, so the Lord killed him. You see, God made us, and God can surely take us out. If you are living a life that is just egregiously evil, no, God is not going to allow you to survive. Never. He can either afflict you with a sickness, um, you could possibly be a victim of a car accident, whatever it is, but God will take you out because he cannot have humans being just that extremely evil you know i'm sure there are a lot of people out here who are so evil that we don't even hear about because they probably wasted away somewhere god does not take kindly to that verse 8 then judah said to ur's brother onan go and sleep with your brother's widow fulfill your obligation to her as her brother's her husband's brother so that your brother may have descendants see this is something that has been going on for a long time um and we'll We'll learn more about that in the book of Exodus when we get there. But um, and and it's so interesting because it reminds me so much of the African culture. There are still some tribes in there's still some, I guess, cultures or villages in my tribe, Yoruba tribe, that still practice this, that when the wife's husband dies, the the next of kin, you know, the next brother, whether it's the junior brother, the older brother, has to marry her to assume the responsibilities that their brother has, you know, left behind because apparently, so here's the deal. We're not even supposed to be working, right? The woman, our job really is to take, keep home and take care of the children and just, you know, um, you know, making sure that home is kept, right? But we're always there as a spiritual backing for our husbands who go out there and who toil day and night to make sure that the roof over their head is good and that security is well-maintained for their family. Right. While at the same time, if we look into the New Testament, loving their wives as their wives are submitting, uh, submitting to their husbands. And so this wasn't like an omen or some type of, uh, you know, oh, this is a no, no, we shouldn't be doing this. No, that was actually right for their culture. Right. Um, but and then again, we'll we'll get into the New Testament and we'll get to understand that, you know, a woman does not have to marry her um, husband's brother. I don't think so. So verse nine, 
But Onan knew that the children would not belong to him. So when he had intercourse with his brother's widow, he let the semen spill on the ground so that there would be no children for his brother. Mm, my goodness. What he did displeased the Lord and the Lord killed him also. Like how dare you try to make the decision? You know, this is a good one. So we have this thing, right? Where we, um, where everybody is talking about the rights to your body, right? The woman that she should be allowed the right to have an, an abortion and things like that. But you know, wow, God is good. After reading this and seeing how it upset God, as Christians, we have to understand that again, a child is not a mistake. It is unfortunate that the man just wasn't the man for you or that you were a victim of forced sex. You know what I'm saying? Nonetheless, that child, the joy, the blessing that that child may bring to your life, you would never know when you decide to just get rid of the child. And so you're basically telling God, no thanks. I don't want what you're giving me. I don't want the gift that you are bringing into this world. That is very, you can imagine how upset that makes God. If God didn't want you to be pregnant from whatever relations you had with a particular person, you wouldn't. There are many people who, who, who have gotten away with that. Like that is not your portion. That's not what I want for you. I don't want you to have any ties with this person. But if I blessed you with a child and you tried to go ahead and, and mess that up, mm -mm. like what he did was selfish saying that it might not be his children, but actually they are yours because they come from your loins. And that was selfish and God punished him for it. Verse 11, then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, return to your father's house and remain a widow until my son Shelah grows up. He said this because he was afraid that Shelah would be killed as his brothers had been. So Tamar went back home. After some time, Judah's wife died. When he had finished the time of mourning, he and his friend Hera of Adullam went to Timnah, where his sheep were being sheared. Someone told Tamar that her father-in-law was going to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she changed from the widow's clothes she had been wearing, covered her face with a veil, and sat, at, sat down at the entrance of Enayim, a town on the road to Timnah. As she well knew, Judah's youngest son, Shelah, was now grown up, and yet... <clears throat> Excuse me. As she well knew, Judah's youngest son, Sheila, was now grown up, and yet she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought that she was a prostitute because she had covered her, she had covered her face. He went over to her at the side of the road and said, All right, how much do you charge? He did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. See, this is messed up. Do you see the deception again? She really she did not want to, you know, be without a child and by and she because of customs and traditions she knew that she had to have the child with this family so this third son that she went to go put in hiding i'm going to have to um find a way to get him to impregnate me and so she deceived them by covering her face and she said what will you give me he answered i will send you a young goat from my flock she said all right if you will give me something to keep as a pledge until until you send the goat what shall I give you as a pledge, he asked. She answered, your seal with its cord and the walking stick you are carrying. He gave them to her. Then they had intercourse and she became pregnant. Tamar went home, took off her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Can you imagine? Judah sent his friend Hera to take the goat and get back from the woman, the articles he had pledged 
but Hera could not find her. He asked some men at Enayim, where is the prostitute who was here by the road? First and foremost, Judah, why are you sleeping with a prostitute? <laughs> so Judah made him a mistake right there, right? That was his sin right there. He was sleeping with a prostitute. Secondly, this young lady is wrong for what she did as well, right? So she has something to hold against him in the event he tries to deny her. She slept with her father-in-law. Crazy. Woof, crazy. So they responded to him. There has never been a prostitute here, they answered. He returned to Judah and said, I couldn't find her. The men of the place said that there had never been a prostitute there. Judah said, let her keep the things. We don't want people to laugh at us. I did try to pay her, but you couldn't find her. About three months later, someone told Judah, your daughter-in-law Tamar has been acting like a whore and now she is pregnant. Judah ordered, take her out and burn her to death. Because, you know, why are you acting like a prostitute? You're trying to taint my name. Why would you do that? Especially dishonoring your um, your ex-husband who has passed away, which is my son. And they were ready to execute her. As she was being taken out, verse 25, she sent word to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these things. Look at them and see whose they are. The seal with its cord and this walking stick. Judah recognized them and said, she is in the right. I have failed in my obligation to her. I should have given her to my son, Shelah, in marriage. And, ne and Judah never had intercourse with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, it was discovered that she was going to have twins. While she was in labor, one of them put out an arm. The midwife caught it, tied a red thread around it, and said, This one was born first. But he pulled his arm back, and his brother was born first. Then the midwife said, so this is how you break your way out. So he was named Perez. Then his brother was born with a red thread on his arm, and he was named Zira. So we're going to stop here, right? We just did two chapters. And this is quite interesting so far where we have reached in this story. This woman already knew that at some point she was going to be showing and people are going to see it. And they know that she is... Um, a widow that she has no man and that the third son has not slept with her is not around for her to even lay with so they automatically assumed she was prostituting right but her keeping the items that belong to judah she knew that it was going to be her defense when that time comes and thankfully judah didn't deny it and he couldn't because i'm sure everyone else knew that those were his items um and so he just had to honor her and she gave birth and she gave birth to twins. How interesting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for tuning in so far. I am going to go ahead and move into part six of this. Uh, as a matter of fact, we don't even have to do a part six. Um, I'll, I'll be back. We're going to keep this as a part five because I want to be able to fit in at least a good four chapters into um, every part. So this will still be part five. But it will also be part five. <laughs> Subpart B. How about that? We'll do it that way. Um, and we'll continue from there. Oh, I'll just probably make it part five and six, right? Listen, who's who's counting? I am, right? I'm the one doing this, as long as you guys are enjoying this. So uh, please stay tuned, keep it locked, and I'll be right back. Here's a little brief intermission before we move into the next part of it. God bless you.
Hello everyone, it's Anika Ade and I'm back. I am back with part six and we are now on chapter 39. And here we get into, um, you know, the life of Joseph um, as a slave, right? Because if we remember in the previous chapter, his brothers decided not to kill him and not to leave him in the well to die. They just decided to sell him off for a couple of dollars if he wanted to use today's money uh, and lie to their father that he was possibly killed. And the father is mourning a son who is very much alive. And so now we are here in chapter 39 and we're going to see how is it that God really wants to use Joseph? What is he approving him for? Why is Joseph being treated this way if he was such a favored son? Verse 1 of chapter 9 begins. Now the Ishmaelites had taken Joseph to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, one of the king's officers, who was the captain of the palace guard. The Lord was with Joseph and made him successful. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master, who saw that the Lord was with Joseph and had made him successful in everything he did. Will you look at that? Even in the face of adversary, even as a slave, God still has a plan for you and he will make sure that it's fulfilled, that even in your slaveship, you will still be favored. Amen? Amen. And when I say slave, you don't necessarily have to be slaving for someone, but we are slaves to our own demise, right? We're slaves to our own sin. But even in that, God still finds a way to try to bring you out of that so that you can die to yourself and live through Jesus. But we'll get there. We'll get there, guys. We will get there. All right. So in verse four, Potiphar was pleased with him and made him his personal servant. So he put him in charge of his house and everything he owned. Wow. From then on, because of Joseph, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian and everything that he had in his house and in his fields. Potiphar turned over everything he had to the care of Joseph and did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph was well-built and good-looking. And after, his, after a while, his master's wife began to desire Joseph and asked him to go to bed with her. I mean, how dare she? I know they said he was well-built and very good-looking, as many of us men are, right? Our men are very good-looking, nicely built. But in this situation, that must be tough for Joseph. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 8, he refused and said to her, Look, my master does not have to concern himself with anything in the house because I am here. He has put me in charge of everything he has. I have as much authority in this house as he has, and he has not kept back anything from me except you. How then could I do such an immoral thing and sin against God? <laughs> Joseph acknowledged that what he would do would be betrayal, right? Because he took notice of the fact that he's basically second in command with everything as it concerns Potiphar's home. So why then should he betray him? But he goes on further to acknowledge the God of his forefathers that why would I even want to do something this atrocious and sin against God who has been favoring me? Huh. All right now, keep that in mind. Although she asked Joseph day after day, he would not go to bed with her. But one day when Joseph went into the house to do his work, none of the servants were there. She caught him by his robe and said, come to bed with me. But he escaped and ran outside, leaving his robe in her hand. When she saw that he had left his robe and run out of the house, she called to her house servants and said, Look at this! This Hebrew that my husband brought to the house is insulting us. He came into my room and, I, and tried to rape me, but I screamed as loud as I could. 
When he heard me scream, he ran outside, leaving his robe beside me. She kept his robe with her until Joseph's master came home. Then she told him the same story. That Hebrew slave that you brought here came into my room and insulted me. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his robe beside me. Joseph's master was furious and had Joseph arrested and put in the prison where the king's prisoners were kept, and there he stayed. But the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him so that the jailer was pleased with him. He put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and made him responsible for everything that was done in the prison. The jailer did not have to look after anything for which Joseph was responsible because the Lord was with Joseph and made him succeed in everything he did. Hmm. So this ends chapter 39. My goodness, look at how much we impact in this chapter alone. And that is something that is experienced every day, even till today, right? Betrayal, lies, lust, you know, like this is crazy and Joseph is going through it. But in all of it, he still remains humble. He still remains faithful. And most importantly, his fear of God is what is keeping him favored in not only God's sight, but in the sight of man, in the sight of those who punish him or supposed to punish him. Instead of punishing him, they make him hold some form of authority. Can you imagine being holding an authority in jail where you have no freedom? But he was free indeed because he had God on his side. Let's go on further. Chapter 40. Some time later, the king of Egypt's wine steward and his chief baker offended the king. He was angry with these two officials and put them in prison in the house of the captain of the guard in the same place where Joseph was being kept. They spent a long time in prison, and the captain assigned Joseph as their servant. One night, there in prison, the wine steward and the chief baker each had a dream, and the dreams had different meanings. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were upset. He asked them, Why do you look so worried today? They answered, Each of us had a dream, and there is no one here to explain what the dream means. It is God who gives the ability to interpret dreams, Joseph said. Tell me your dreams. So the wine steward said, In my dream, there was a grapevine in front of me with three branches on it. As soon as the leaves came out, the blossoms appeared, and the grapes ripened. I was holding the king's cup, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into the cup and gave it to him. Joseph said, This is what it means. The three branches are three days. In three days the king will release you, pardon you, and restore you to your position. You will give him his cup, as you did before when you were his wine steward. But please remember me when everything is going well for you. And please be kind enough to mention me to the king and help me get out of this prison. After all, I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here in Egypt, I didn't do anything to deserve being put in prison. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation of the wine steward's dream was favorable, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. I was carrying three bread baskets on my head. In the top basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for the king, and the birds were eating them. <laughs> Joseph answered, this is what it means. The three baskets are three days. In three days, the king will release you and have your head cut off. Then he will hang your body on a pole, and the birds will eat your flesh. Oof. On his birthday, three days later, the king gave a banquet for all his officials. He released his wine steward and his chief baker and brought them before the officials. He restored the wine steward to his former position, but he executed the chief baker. 
It all happened just as Joseph had said, but the wine steward never gave Joseph another thought. He forgot all about him. This ends chapter 40. Wow. So we see here that Joseph, obviously he found favor in the sight of the chief of the prison. They had him pretty much as the servant, but the leader over them all. And he notices these two men who were put in jail some time after him. And they had spent quite some time there based on the, the, um, the text. And Joseph says, why do they look so upset? And, you know, they go on to tell Joseph that, hey, we had dreams, didn't really understand and there's no one to interpret. And again, Joseph acknowledges God as the giver of all, right? That God is in charge of dreams and only God would be able to translate it. So by his belief in God, God gave him the ability to translate the dreams they told him. And he translated them fairly well because it ended up happening. But he said, you know, as I am giving you guys this, please remember me because I was also locked up but I was locked up for doing something that I did not do for no reason. So please remember me when you are released and you have become the king's wine steward again. But upon release, the wine steward completely forgot about him. And we can see this today, right? You find yourself being an intercessor, right? Being an intermediary, an advocate, if you would, for someone else. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a coworker, whatever, a church, a fellow church member. And in so doing, you may not even spew those words, right? To say, hey, just remember me when things go well for you. Or remember me when what we prayed about happens. Because remember, I prayed with you, that kind of thing. Should Do we really need to say those things? Probably not. But it would be right for you as the person who was helped, who was given the opportunity to see life again, right? To see the day, the light of day again, because you were locked up for so long you would want to remember that person. You want to say, hey, by the way, this such and such thing happened. But then again, him forgetting could have been for a reason, right? Could God have been saving this forgetful instance for a memorable moment? Let's see. We're going to verse uh, chapter 41. After two years had passed, the king of Egypt dreamed that he was standing by the Nile River when cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the river and began to feed on the grass. Then seven other cows came up. They were thin and bony. They came and stood by the other cows on the riverbank, and the thin cows ate up the fat cows. Then the king woke up. He fell asleep again and had another dream. Seven heads of grain, full and ripe, were growing on one stalk. Then seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the desert wind, and the thin heads of grain swallowed the full ones. The king woke up and realized that he had been dreaming. In the morning he was worried, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. He told them his dreams, but no one could explain them to him. <laughs> Isn't that something? He called all the magicians, all these sorcerers that are supposed to have some type of power from whatever god that they make their god, but none of them were able to translate this, uh, interpret this dream. Verse 9, then the wine steward said to the king, I must confess today that I have done wrong. You were angry with the chief baker and me, and you put us in prison in the house of the captain of the guard. One night, each of us had a dream, and the dreams had different meanings. A young Hebrew was there with us, a slave of the captain of the guard. He told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us. Things turned out just as he said. You restored me to my position, but you executed the baker. The king sent for Joseph, and he was immediately brought from the prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came into the king's presence. 
The king said to him, I have had a dream and no one can explain it. I have been told that you can interpret dreams. Joseph answered, I cannot, your majesty, but God will give a favorable interpretation. The king said, I dreamed that I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the river and began feeding on the grass. The seven other cows came up which were thin and bony. They were the poorest cows I have ever seen anywhere in Egypt. The thin cows ate up the fat ones, but no one would have known it because they looked just as bad as before. Then I woke up. I also dreamed that I saw seven heads of grain which were full and ripe growing on one stalk. Then seven heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the desert wind, and the thin heads of grain swallowed the full ones. I told the dreams to the magicians, but none of them could explain them to me. Joseph said to the king, the two dreams mean the same thing. God has told you what he is going to do. The seven fat cows are seven years, and the seven full heads of grain are also seven years. They have the same meaning. The seven thin cows, which came up later, and the seven thin heads of grain scorched by the desert are seven years of famine. It is just as I told you. God has shown you what he is going to do. There will be seven years of great plenty in all the land of Egypt. After that, there will be seven years of famine, and all the good years will be forgotten, because the famine will ruin the country. The time of plenty will be entirely forgotten, because the famine which follows will be so terrible. The repetition of your dream means that the matter is fixed by God and that he will make it happen in the near future. Hmm. Now you should choose some man with wisdom and insight and put him in charge of the country. You must also appoint other officials and take a fifth of the crops during the seven years of plenty. Order them to collect all the food during the good years that are coming and give them authority to store up grain in the cities and guard it. The food will be a reserve supply for the country during the seven years of famine which are going to come on Egypt. In this way, the people will not starve. So let me stop for a second. Look at how God is using and has approved Joseph for his glory, right? Because it's one thing to be used to uh, sorry, it's one thing to be used by God, but then you are you are useless to God, right? There's another thing to be used by God and approved by God, right? That approval means you may you you just probably found a spot in heaven, in the one of the many dimensions that exist, the one of the many mansions that exist in heaven. And in this case, you see that Joseph is not only used by God, but he's also approved by God because that approval by God instantly makes him approved by man. This is someone who was a servant to a captain of the jailhouse, right? Comes out of the jailhouse because of his good deed by way of the steward who felt guilty not having acknowledged Joseph when he did, but that God may have allowed him to forget that moment for this particular moment where the king of Egypt needed interpretation for his dreams. And we all know that Joseph is the dreamer. And through God, Joseph, al Joseph is allowed to interpret dreams. So Joseph now becomes the intermediary for people who do not understand their dreams, most especially the people who are meant to oppress him but turn around and praise him. Hallelujah. So let's make this a point of prayer that in any situation 
that the enemy tries to put you in, where you are meant to be a slave, where you are meant to have the lack thereof. May God in his infinite mercy raise up a helper that will take you out of your situation and make you honored in that situation. That those who are oppressing you will turn around and praise us in the mighty name of Jesus. And so shall it be. Amen. And I better hear an amen after that. We go on to verse 37. The king and his officials approved this plan. And he said to them, we will never find a better man than Joseph, a man who has God's spirit in him. Amen. The king said to Joseph, God has shown you all this. So it is obvious that you have greater wisdom and insight than anyone else. I will put you in charge of my country and all my people will obey your orders. Your authority will be second only to mine. I now appoint you governor over all Egypt. Ladies and gentlemen, I declare and decree in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you will be appointed governor over all that concerns your life and those that are around you, that God will reinstate your crown, your glory, your title, your position on this earth, that you will not be here in vain in the mighty name of Jesus. All your enemies will be shut up and put to shame in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Look at God. God been showing up and showing out, okay? Before he even sends his son to come and save us. Verse 42, the king removed from his finger the ring engraved with the royal seal and put it on Joseph's finger. He put a fine linen robe on him and placed a gold chain around his neck. He gave him the second royal chariot to ride in and his guard of honor went ahead of him and cried out, make way make way. And so Joseph was appointed governor over all Egypt. The king said to him, I am the king and no one in all Egypt shall so much as lift a hand or a foot without your permission. He gave Joseph the Egyptian name Zapanath Paniah, and he gave him a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, a priest in the city of Heliop Heliopolis. Joseph was 30 years old when he began to serve the king of Egypt. Wow. Joseph was about 16, I think, when his brothers sold him. So you may have to suffer. You may have to endure. But what God has for you, it will be for you so long as you remain obedient. And as long as you serve him with all your heart and might, it shall come to pass. Maybe even sooner than it did for Joseph, but it will come to pass. God's will for your life. Amen. Verse 47 during, oh, I'm sorry, Joseph was 30 years old when he began to serve the king of Egypt. He left the king's court and traveled all over the land. During the seven years of plenty, the land produced abundant crops, all of which Joseph collected and stored in the cities. In each city, he stored the food from the fields around it. There was so much grain that Joseph stopped measuring it. It was like the sand of the sea. Before the years of famine came, Joseph had two sons by Asenath. He said, God has made me forget all my sufferings and all my father's family. So he named his first son Manasseh. And you know, Manassehs usually have meaning. So this uh, sounds like the Hebrew for cause to forget. So Manasseh was named um, after God had blessed him and helped him to forget all the sufferings that he endured in the hands of his family. He also said, God has given me children in the land of my trouble. So he named his second son Ephraim. Again, this name sounds like the Hebrew for give children. 
The seven years of plenty that the land of Egypt had enjoyed came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in every other country, but there was food throughout Egypt. When the Egyptians began to be hungry, they cried out to the king for food. So he ordered them to go to Joseph and do what he told them. The famine grew worse and spread over the whole country. So Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. People came to Egypt from all over the world to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. And this ends chapter 41. And very quickly, just to kind of summarize the end of it, look at the way God has put Joseph in a position to be there for others. The whole world was experiencing famine, no food, husbands, wives, children, the cattle, their animals, their livestock, no food. But because of the wisdom and the gift that God had given Joseph to be able to not only interpret the dream, but to also through wisdom advise on how to make sure that there will be food that will last through the seven years of famine to the point where people from all over the world were coming to them for food. My God, talk about being used and approved by God. That is awesome. And I pray that for all of us, that we will be used and approved by God to not, not for our glory, but to his glory, that through us, people will see the glory of God. Let's go on to verse 42. <clears throat> when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why don't you do something? I hear that there is grain in Egypt. Go there and buy some to keep us from starving to death. So Joseph's 10 half-brothers went to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, with them because he was afraid that something might happen to him. So remember, Joseph and Benjamin are the only two sons that came from Rachel. All the other ones come from the, the maidservants of Rachel and um. And I forgot this other sister's name. I'm sorry, forgive me. I think it begins with a Z. Uh, and, and her sons as well. So they're all his half-brothers. Benjamin is his full brother, as it describes here. Verse 5. The sons of Jacob came with others to buy grain, because there was famine in the land of Canaan. Joseph, as governor of the land of Egypt, was selling grain to people from all over the world. So Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted as if he did not know them. He asked them harshly, where did you come from? We have come from Canaan to buy food, they answered. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. He remembered the dreams he had, that he dreamed about them and said, you are spies. You have come to find out where our country is weak. No, sir, they answered. We have come as, our, as your slaves to buy food. We are all brothers. We are not spies, sir. We are honest men. <laughs> honest indeed, right? Joseph said to them, No, you have come to find out where our country is weak. They said, We were twelve brothers in all, sir, sons of the same man in the land of Canaan. One brother is dead, and the youngest is now with our father. It is just as I said, Joseph answered. You are spies. This is how you will be tested. I swear by the name of the king that you will never leave unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get him. The rest of you will be kept under guard until the truth of what you say can be tested. Otherwise, as sure as the king lives, you are spies. With that, he put them in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. 
and I will spare your lives on one condition. To prove that you are honest, one of you will stay in the prison where you have been kept. The rest of you may go and take back to your starving families the grains that you have bought. Then you must bring your youngest brother to me. This will prove that you have been telling the truth, and I will not put you to death. They agreed to this and said to one another, Yes, now we are suffering the consequences of what we did to our brother. We saw the great trouble he was in when he begged for help, but we would not listen. That is why we are in this trouble now. Reuben said, I told you not to harm the boy, but you wouldn't listen. And now we are being paid back for his death. Joseph understood what they said, but they did not know it because they had been speaking to him through an interpreter. Joseph left them and began to cry. When he was able to speak again, he came back, picked out Simeon, and had him tied up in front of them. Very quickly, let's stop. Do you see, guys, that no evil deed goes unpunished? That the things you do in the dark will surely come to light? Look at how the brother and his family are now suffering and are at the beck and call of their brother whom they left for dead because of jealousy, because of spite. Wow, what a mighty God, a mighty God that we are serving. Can you see that? God is faithful. He is honorable. When God wants to show up in your life and show out and put your enemies to shame, he will do it as long as you remain steadfast and faithful and obedient. God is awesome. God is good. And this was hurting Joseph. You know, he really loved his brothers, actually. He probably wanted to jump and hug them. But at the same time, he could not let them know yet. Or God just didn't want them to know yet. God had to show himself through the life of Joseph. Verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill his brother's packs with grain to put each man's money back in his sack and to give them food for the trip. See, because Joseph had the power to do everything second to the king, he didn't even need their money. He even gave them their money back in addition to the food. The brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain they had bought and they left. At the place where they spent the night, one of them opened his sack to feed his donkey and found his money at the top of the sack. My money has been returned to me. He called to his brothers, here it, is my, um, here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and in fear they asked one another, what has God done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in Canaan, they told him all that happened to them. The governor of Egypt spoke harshly to us and accused us of spying against his country. We are not spies, we answered. We are honest men. We were 12 brothers in all, sons of the same father. One brother is dead, and the youngest is still in Canaan with our father. The man answered, this is how I will find out if you are honest men. One of you will stay with me. The rest will take grain for your starving families and leave. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother back to you and you can stay here and trade. Then when they emptied out their sacks, every one of them found his bag of money. And when they saw the money, they and their father Jacob were afraid. Their father said to them, do you want me, do you want me to lose my all my children? Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take away Benjamin? I am the one who suffers. Reuben said to his father, if I do not bring Benjamin back to you, you can kill my two sons. Put him in my care and I will bring him back. Wow, what a bargain. But Jacob said, my son cannot go with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. Something might happen to him on the way. I am an old man and the sorrow you would cause me would kill me. This ends chapter 42. My, my, my. Look at what is happening here. 
And you know, Jacob is only Jacob is only answering this way because he is under the deception that his son is dead. And could Jacob have looked into this further? Could he have questioned his older brothers even more? You know, scrutinized them? I'm sure Joseph, uh, Jacob had some idea, you know, some inkling of knowledge that his brothers envied him. Why is it that he never mentioned that? And we would never know why, right? Because God can cause our hearts to harden. He can cause our hearts to soften up whenever he wants to prove himself as the I am that I am, as the almighty, the all-knowing, the all-powerful. We are not in control of ourselves. We are not in control of our thoughts and of our minds. Do you understand? If we wanted to control our thoughts, we'd have to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times the enemy being the copycat that he is will make us think that what we are thinking is right and is just and we will step into more doo-doo than we've already stepped into. And this time the smell will be so bad that God will not even look our way. We would have to do everything to gain God's trust back. But God loves us so much. Look at the love he has for Joseph. And even for his family, despite how they treated him. Despite the whole idea of wanting to kill him. Can you imagine that conspiracy to murder? Goodness gracious. God is good. I'm going to go on and move into parts um, seven and eight. We're going to keep this going. I love where it's going and we're almost done with the book of Genesis. I praise God. You guys stay tuned. Be blessed. And I pray that everything standing in your path, God will remove and make you great, greater beyond measure. In Jesus name. Amen. See you guys in the next episode.